amen. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Dear eternal God, our Father, we come to you today, God. We thank you and praise you, God, for all that you do, Father. God, we ask that you'll move me out of the way, that they will hear your voice and not mine, God. Lord, we thank you for this preaching privilege, Heavenly Father, Lord. We thank you for these, your people. I pray, Heavenly Father, Lord, as they would hear, Heavenly Father, Lord, that they would be doers and not just hearers of your word, God. We honor you today for who you are. We thank you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. As I mentioned, I went to Memphis, convened on Memphis, Memphis Tennessee, for this epic event of the National Baptist Convention. And we look at how the president does a state of the nation address. The governor does a state of the state address. The mayor does a state of the city address. And I just believe that somebody needs to do a state of the church address. Because there's some things that are happening in our churches. There are some people who are introducing some strange doctrines, some strange practices that we have not seen before. And what it has developed into is an interfighting between churches, interfighting between denominations. The reality of it is that we're killing our own. We're shooting and killing our own. All of us, all of us, If you, you, you have to be locked in a closet somewhere for the last month or so to not know and understand some of the stuff that is taking place in churches today. We all know what's going on with Bishop T.D. Jakes. And I don't put my mouth on Bishop Jakes. I don't talk about that. But what I do do for Bishop Jakes is I pray for him. I pray for that church. Because no matter how this turns out, it's going to be the church that's going to be left to try and clean up and mop up the mess that has been made. And so we need to be praying for the church. There's another church down in Atlanta, Georgia, for a watch night service. Had all kinds of bumping and grinding and secular music and bumping all, all throughout the sanctuary. And understand, this is not of God. This is nowhere in Scripture. And understand that the scripture is our final authority to anything that we do in God's house. The problem is, is that we've allowed our own personal experiences and our own personal feelings to get in the way of what God wants to do in his church. And we want to introduce newer stuff, more profound stuff that no one else has thought about. The church is in critical condition. But there is good news because the church does not belong to me. Church does not belong to any pastor. The church does not belong to any denomination. It does not belong to you. It belongs to Jesus Christ. And so with saying that, I want to take this text from Matthew's gospel, the 16th chapter. We're going to begin our reading at verse number 13. 
Say amen when you have it. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 16, beginning at verse number 13, it says, And when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I am, that, that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Peter answered, Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, that, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Somebody say my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he charged his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. And from that time forth, Jesus began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must, be, must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. From this text, I would like to take for this thought, who's building your church? That's the question we all need to ask. Who's building our church? We have a misconception of what church means. If you ask many of you guys or many of people, what church do you attend? They would say Macedonia Baptist Church. They would say Corinthian Baptist Church. They would say the, the St. Paul Episcopalian Church. And what they're really referencing is a building. And understand that the church is not necessarily the building. The reality of it is, is that we must think biblically when it comes to church. Many of us don't understand that it's not the building, but it is the people who reside within the building that make up the church. Now understand the fact also that everybody in the building is not a part of the church. You see, because you cannot join the church in which I'm speaking about. The term here that's used for church in the New Testament is the word Greek word ecclesia. And what it means, it means an assembly of people. 
we've kind of, in, in, in nowadays, taken this to mean that it's just an assembly of church people. But that's not what was meant in that time. It was any gathering was known as an ecclesia. But we've taken it to the point to where now the church is the ecclesiast and it is the called out believers. It is not just those folk who attend that local assembly. There, 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 there's some people that are sitting in these pews. There are some people that are sitting in pews all throughout the nation, all throughout the world, that have not been born again. They have not been born from above. You see, because what we have is we have our local church in which we're all members here that have joined. This is, this is a local church. This is a local assembly. But there's, there's what's known as the universal church. The universal church has no building. As a matter of fact, you couldn't get all of the body in Christ in one, set, in one place at one time. The mystical church has no building. Because it's not about the building. It's about the message. It's about, it's about us coming together under the unity of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And th th this, is what, this is what ties us all together. But one of the greatest hindrances to the body of Christ is denominationalism. That, 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 that was the starting point of dividing God's church. Because when you look at the state of the church, there, 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 there's only there's over 3,000 different denominations in the world today. We had four different congresses down in Memphis, Tennessee. Shame on the Baptist church. Shame on us. Why? Because we don't want to come under the authority of someone else. And understand that, that, that Jesus began to build his church with 12 men. That was the starting point. And that's where this text picks up at. Jesus is using that opportunity to teach his disciples about this new coming church that would be birthed on the day of Pentecost. Now, understand that, that perhaps this, this, this sounded a, a little bit strange to the disciples as Jesus was teaching that. There was a lot of stuff that, that the disciples did not realize and understand until after Jesus had rose from the dead. So I'm not surprised by that. You see, because the reality of it is that a lot of it is spiritually discerned. And that's why a lot of us can't get it because we're not discerning it spiritually. We're still looking at it carnally, fleshly, physically. But this church is spirit. The Bible said that, 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 that the spirit all baptized us all into one body. So we're, so we're all a part of the body of Christ that have been blood washed, that have confessed their sin, have repented and confessed their sins and have received Christ as their Savior, are in the body of Christ. It's evident by how you live your life. There's a whole lot of folk that have stood down here and gave their public profession of faith, but have never been born again. 
There, there, there are those ones that have come through our new members class and we have given them the plan of salvation and what it takes to be saved and they still do not get it. Because it's the Spirit of God that draws people. It's the Spirit of God that convicts people of their sinfulness. It's the Spirit of God that transforms lives of individuals that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot be saved without the Lord working in your life, sanctifying you, getting you to a place to where he can use you effectively. Some of us, God won't even touch. The, rea- the reason why, because he can't trust us. So the first order of business before we begin to identify what the church really is, is that we must first identify who Christ is. <laughs> Listen, G- 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 Jesus in the eighth chapter of Matthew begins a miracle crusade. He's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. He's giving sight to the blind. He's unstopping deaf ears. He's walking on water. He's feeding the multitude. Understand that all of these miracles are something that's done by something one who is divine and not someone who is human. It is the divine nature of Jesus working through his flesh that is doing this. The reason why God does this is that we need to have some type of object to be able to look to. So we look to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. In other words, we draw faith by seeing what Christ did all throughout his Gospels. And there are times that we must look at the gospel from a horizontal view. In other words, how do they interrelate? Because the reality of it is, is they confirm one another. They confirm that this is the truth from a historical standpoint. But then there's time that we must look at this text from a vertical view. What is it, what is it that God is really trying to say to me personally? And so Jesus opens up this lesson to the disciples by asking a question. The first question is a public question. He asked the question, who do men say that I, the son of man, man am? And this kind of perplexed me for a minute. Because I said that God, that Jesus is God all by himself. And he's omniscient. He knows everything. As a matter of fact, before you even come off your lips, Jesus already knows what you're about to say. Before it formulates in your mind and in your heart, he already knows. But he's using this as an object lesson. And it's not just for the disciples. It's for us as well. Here's what I'm talking about. The disciples are at Caesarea of Philippi. This region here was was a region that had a plethora of gods. The cultural diversity there was extensive. There was a lot of schools of thought about who Jesus was. Now understand that for these people to be able to make an assessment of Jesus, 
For them to even be able to, you know, conceptualize in their mind who Jesus was, they must have had some type of knowledge about Jesus. And so, so what this first group represents, it represents the religious facet of the church. There's a whole lot of people in the church that's been around Jesus. You know a little bit about Jesus. And so Jesus asked them, who do, who, do, who do they say that I am? And they begin to say that he's John the Baptist, which is quite interesting because John the Baptist is dead now. And so apparently they must think, maybe, maybe he is the resurrection of John the Baptist. Well, he walked with John the Baptist. John the Baptist baptized him. How can he be resurrected as, Je as John the Baptist? So, so, so they understood Bible, but their theology was messed up. Even Jesus said, I mean, it would have been an honor to be John the Baptist. You call me John the Baptist, I'm going I'm to stick my chest out a little bit. Because it was that Jesus' testimony about John the Baptist. He said, John the Baptist, he said, he said, of all men born of a woman, there's not one greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was that fiery preacher. That one who baptized thousands of people unto repentance. That one that preached and caused the king to get angry with him. Have him beheaded. John the Baptist is dead. So how can Jesus be John the Baptist? And then they say, well, he must be Elijah. And I understand the connection here as well. In Malachi, it tells that, 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 that Elijah will return and be that forerunner for the Messiah. So I understand the connection that they have here with Elijah and with Jesus. Elijah was on the, uh, on, on the Mount of Transfiguration. Shows his importance to God's plan. But understand that Jesus is far greater than Elijah. As great a preacher as Elijah was, and him and Jesus shared a lot of ministry work together as well. Elijah raised some folk from the dead. We know that Jesus raised some folk from the dead. Elijah fed a multitude with, with, with a small portion of food, food, and so did Jesus. So there's a connection there. But understand that this could not be Elijah, because the connection is made by Jesus. That, that it was actually John the Baptist who fulfilled that prophecy of Elijah coming. It was not Jesus. As a matter of fact, on the, on the Mount of Transfiguration, you know, Peter said, should we make a tabernacle for, for, for you, Lord, and for Moses and for, and for, and for uh, Elijah? And they were sternly rebuked. Because as great as these men are, as great as they were, they paled in comparison to Jesus. People are still messed up. And then they go on to Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, the prophet that preached judgment on the nation of Judah. He was a man of conviction, a man that was honored, but a man that left ministry work without having a single convert. And he still preached. But Jesus is much greater than them as well. This, this was the public view 
of what Jesus was. This is, this is what the people thought about Jesus. After all the mighty miracles, the miracles that only God could do, the best that they could come up with the, the trio of John the Baptist, Elijah, and Jeremiah. Or one of the other prophets. But then Jesus turns it introspectively. It becomes personal now. And understand that all of us need to get at this place. Let me ask you this question. Who do you say that Jesus is? And listen, before you speak, it'll be backed up in how you live. You see, because if you say that Jesus Christ is the, is the anointed one, is the Christ, then you'll live like that. If Jesus wasn't, had enough power to, to change your life, then you can't say that. It's in how you live your life. And he puts it right in their face. He said, whom do you say the Son of Man is? In other words, look within yourself. And this is what I've been telling you guys. We, we all have to look within ourselves. We, we, we spend so much time looking outside and externally and looking at other folk. Take us some time to look in the mirror. Look at your own life. What, 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 what does your life demonstrate about who Jesus is? I mean, we, we, we understand that from a historical standpoint that Jesus did live. And then there's, there's a, a plethora of views of, of who he is. But who do you say that he is? You know, you, 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 you got you to, you, as they used to say, the, you know, the, the, the quality goes in before the name goes on. Before you start naming yourself as a Christian, you need to have some quality of being a Christian. And you get, you know, I know you get, you get a little quiet when I get to those areas, because, but, but, but it takes that. It takes us looking inside of ourselves and asking ourselves the hard question, what am I doing for the glory of God? Really? What, what, what am I doing that God might be glorified? How, how, how am I living my life? Listen, this, is, this, this is what Peter said. Because Peter was, no, no doubt, the, the leader of the disciples. He said that thou art the Christ. Now let's deal with that for a minute because the Christ means the anointed one. That, that, that this was the Lamb of God that had been slain before the foundations of it. God had already taken care of our sin issue even before we sinned. The Bible said that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Before I even committed a sin, God had already dealt with the sin even before the foundations of the earth. But this was the promised one. And if you look, if you look, if you look at the, the, the 11th chapter of Hebrews, you'll see that there's a whole list of people that are in the hall of faith that believed and trusted on the one, this Messiah, this Christ to come and had never received the promise, but yet they still believed. And here we are, we're looking back on history. We know what happened at Calvary, but yet we struggle with our belief and what Jesus Christ is doing. He said that thou art the Christ. Thou art the anointed one. 
You're the promised one. You're the one that God promised that he was going to send. This was, this was Abraham's seed. This was the era of Abraham. Came down through the tribe of Judah. Circumcised. Lived a holy life. Lived a, lived a sinless life. Because only the Christ could do that. No mere man could do that. That's why God didn't send the man. He sent the God man. Because he knew that a mere man couldn't do what Christ came to do. He said, thou art the Christ. And here's the connectivity. The son of the living God. Listen, we, 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 we serve a living God. And, and understand that if you have the spirit of God living in you, you're a living being. And just like God breathed into the life of man, into the natural man, and he became a living soul, just when the Holy Spirit breathed the life into us, we became a living spirit. We are lively Christians. And that's the old folks say, everything dead ought to be buried. I'm excited about God. I wake up in the morning excited about God, what the Lord is going to do. I look for God to do. I look for the great expectation of what God's going to do in this day. I wake, up, I, wake, I, I wake up every morning with a blessed hope in my life, knowing that God's going to do something. I don't know what you're going to do, God, but I know you're going to do something today. He said that thou art the son of God. Son of God. That is deity there. It's deity. Son of God. He is the son of God. So Jesus tells him, he said, this wasn't revealed to you by seminary school. It wasn't revealed to you by college. This wasn't revealed to you by your denomination affiliation. It wasn't revealed to you by your political associations. This knowledge that you have received must have came from my Father, which is in heaven. And understand, you, 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 you cannot really you conceptualize God unless the Spirit of God reveals him to you. And I thank God for his Holy Ghost. I thank God for the Holy Ghost that, that is constantly revealing Christ, constantly testifying of Christ, constantly telling me that I am on the right track, that I'm on the right road. He said, he said, flesh and blood didn't, didn't, didn't reveal this to you, but it's my Father which is in heaven. And then he begins to bestow an honor upon Peter because this is his public profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now understand, understand, just because Peter has his public profession of faith does not make him perfect. Much in the same way, just because we as Christians make our public profession of faith, don't make us perfect. We're going to make some mistakes. Peter made some tremendous mistakes, but God never left him. God was always there to restore Christ, uh, uh, Peter, and he does the same thing to us. God is willing to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, but he's also willing to restore you. And if God is going to restore us and give us restoration, if he's going to give us mercy, if he's going to give us forgiveness, we ought to be likewise doing the, be doing the same thing. 
We need, we need to start putting down our self-pettiness and understanding, looking with an eye of compassion, looking with an eye of mercy. And here's the reason why, because one day you're going to need some mercy. One day you're going to need somebody to be compassionate on you. And that's why when I look at these men of God in this, and listen, let me tell you something. Some of the rebuke is warranted. But don't get to the place to where you start condemning them. Because we don't have that right. We don't have that authority to condemn anybody. We are to pray for them. We're to stand in the gap for them. We're to be an example of what that God-like nature looks like. Because that's the only real goodness that we have in us, is that which God puts in us. It ain't nothing of ourselves. You and I and nobody else have ever been that good. Even these men that they listed in the text weren't that good to where they, they weren't to be the Christ. None of us are Christ. But he said, he, said, he, said, he, tells, them, he tells them that thou art Peter. He said, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now understand that he was not saying that Peter would be that one that he would build the church on. It's just a coincidence that Peter's name means rock. Or in this case, stone or pebble. You know, Peter was just a pebble. Well, he, well, he wasn't necessarily a rock. Not to that degree. But what he was cementing this to is the confession that Peter made. That, that, that's what he's saying. He said, he said, based upon what was revealed to you by my father. He, he, here's, here's the deal. Peter, you can't even take credit for that. Because what you got came from the father. It, it, it didn't come from because you just figured it out. No, it didn't. It came from the Father. So, so, so you can't even take credit for the faith that you do have. It was given to you by God. God gave you the ability to be able to understand and receive and discern what the Word of God says. You can't even, we can't even take credit for it. Can't take credit for it. So, 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 so Peter, yeah, you're doing a great thing. You're public professional faith, but when we get to next week's message, you'll see that he messed up pretty bad. And so he said that I'm going to give you, Peter, the keys to the kingdom. Now understand, keys are very valuable because usually if something is locked, there's something valuable behind, beyond the door. He said, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Now, what this means is that this means that God has given him a special authority based upon what he has professed. We as believers have that special authority to say what the word of God says. We do not have the authority to make up our own agenda, to make up our own gospel, to make up our own doctrine. Everything that we receive from God is in his word. Listen, he said, he said, he said, here's what the key to the kingdom looks like. It looks like, he said, he said, whatever you bind here on earth will be bound in heaven. And everything that you loose down here on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Understand that it's predicated on the faith that Peter has. And it's, it's limited by the word of God. 
You can't just go binding up everything thinking that you're going to get it bound up. No, that ain't how this works. It is according to God's word. But he's given him this authority. And the reason why, because Peter would be a pillar. It would be Peter that would stand up on the day of Pentecost and preach such a profound but simple message that Jesus was crucified by you same wicked men. He was buried in a tomb and rose on the third day. The gospel message being preached to them. This is the, the authority that God has given to Peter. This is the key to the kingdom. You cannot get in the kingdom without going through the door. And if Peter and if we have that key, we have that key by our testimony, by our witness. What do you say? Who do you say Jesus is? What, what, what is your message? Because that's where the key is at. It's in your message. It's in how you live your life. That's the key. That's the key. And so he puts it back in the face of these disciples. Are you in agreement with Peter? Are you in agreement that, that Jesus is the Christ? Are you in agreement that he is the anointed one of God? Are you in agreement that he is the one, he's the only provision for your sin? Are you in agreement that he is the, the, the way, the truth, and the life? No man comes to the Father but by him. So who's building your church? Who, who, who's building that church within you? Because you are a part of the body of Christ, right? And, and, and we ought to be growing and maturing in Christ. We ought to be getting better and better each and every day in Christ. We ought to be coming to Bible study, Sunday school, learning what God wants for us and the desires for us. You ought to be wanting to do that. Because it Jesus' church. He said, upon this, I will build my church. That gives Jesus ownership of the church. He owns this church. And listen, listen, I'm glad that Jesus owns the church. I'm glad that he owns it and that we don't own it. Because, because you know, we'd be putting all kinds of folk out the church if, Jesus, if, if we owned it. You know, you, we, we, may be, we may be able to put them out of this local assembly, but you can't put nobody out of the body of Christ. That, 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 that's a church. You can't be excommunicated from the body of Christ. Jesus, Jesus has, has already told us that he, he come, he's going to keep us. He, he said that, that if, if I got you in my hand, I'm going to keep you. I'm going to keep you. Yes, I am. Listen, this, 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 this is what Paul says. This goes for this point here. He says in Romans 10, 9, he said that, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, listen here, and believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt what? what? Saved. Now understand that word saved is complete. Once he has saved you, listen here, if he's really saved you now, Right? We're we, we not just talking about having this form of godliness, but yet denying the power thereof. We're talking about if you've really been born again, God has saved you, and he will not let you go. Jesus said, once I have you in my hand, I won't let you go. I won't let you get away. 
I'm going to hold on to you. He said, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. This is our part right here. What, what, what does it mean to believe unto righteousness? It means to believe to the point to where God starts changing your life. You become, you, you go from being that sinner that's out there on drugs, out there um, cheating on your wife, out there doing all kinds of sinful stuff, and you become this Christian now. God is changing you. It's called believing unto righteousness. It's believing with everything that you have towards the point that God starts changing your very character, changing your nature. Because only then can you change your conduct. He said, with a believe unto righteousness, and then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Understand, that confession comes after the belief. In other words, the work has to be done first before you can confess it out of your mouth. It's got to be done first in the heart. You see, because many of people have made the confession, have prayed the sinner's prayer, but they're still lost. Hopelessly lost. But God has given us that. He's given us salvation. And he's able to keep us. Let me close with this. I'm thankful for what God does in my life. I'm thankful that God is able to keep me from falling. I'm thankful that when I do fall, I have an advocate with the Father. I'm thankful that I have a God that sits high and looks low. I'm thankful for a God that does not deal with me according to my sin. I'm thankful for God that he has a, a God that serves, that he is rich in mercy. I'm thankful for the favor and the grace of God that he places upon our lives. I'm thankful that God is able to keep me even in the midst of storms and circumstances and situations. I'm thankful to God that he reveals his goodness to me even in the midst of my depression, even in the midst of all the heartache that I've experienced. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful to God for his word and what his word says. Listen, this is, this is, this is another good. In the book of Romans, it says that this is good. This is medicine for your soul. He says in Romans 8 and 35, he says, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword? No, no, nothing shall separate us from God. So for as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long and are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all of these things we are more, <laughs> we're more than conquerors. We're not just conquerors, we're more than conquerors. Through him that loved us. Listen here, Paul said, he said, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. God's got you. No matter what you're going through, God's got you. No matter what they say about you, the Lord has you. He's true to his word. 
And it's his word that tells us that he died on Calvary's cross. Some 2,000 years ago, he gave his life for us. They nailed him in his hands, nailed him in his feet, put a crown of thorns on his head. He died for your sins and he died for my sins. They buried him in a tomb. He stayed there all Friday, all Saturday. But early, 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 early Sunday morning, he rose with all power in his hand. Who do you say that Jesus is? I say that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. And he gave his life for me. Suffered, bled, and died for me. But he's still working on our behalf. He's still praying for us. He's still praying every time the devil comes and accuses us. He's praying. He's making intercession for us. And I'm looking for that glorious day when he's going to crack the sky. When we're going to be caught up together with him in the air. And so shall we forever be with the Lord. But who do you say that Jesus is? Who is he to you? Make sure you know him. But more importantly, make sure he knows you. Because you don't want to see, hear these words. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. I'm working for thy good and faithful servant. Well done. Please stand to your feet. The door to the church is open. door to the church is open. Is there one? This is an opportunity. The gospel has been preached. Maybe you've been in a church. Perhaps you've been sitting on a pew. You need to be covered. You need the covering of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is doing a great work, church. There is room at the cross. There's room at the cross. You might as well come while you have the decision. You might as well bow on this side. Because you'll eventually bow on the other side. This is your opportunity. Because of who you are. Because of who you are. Come on, because of who you are. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Because. Come on, come on, come on, church. 
Macedonia Baptist Church. We have come in by Christian experience, Dewana Reed, and she's returning home. You want to please stand to your feet. You're coming back home. Let me tell you something. 